Capone and Tremi, feel, feel free to jump in. You know, why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So my name is Tremi Anderson. I'm um, head of marketing for Vana High Security. So full disclosure, I, I'm in tech and I love it, but um, I have so much learning to, to catch up with you guys who are much more technical. So um, thank you so much for having me on the podcast and giving me that avenue to kind of learn and just kind of pick everyone's brain. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to get that out there in case you guys think I'm a hacker. I am not. <laughs> awesome. Well, welcome. Um, so with that being said, I'll go ahead and open it up to Steve. Let me see. Uh, let's go ahead and unmute Steve and, and take his, uh, his video for him. Um, so we can start our conversation. Steve. I'm not really sure. Uh, video, Steve. Well, while Steve is getting his video and his audio going, um, I'll talk about the news that's going on uh, out in the real world. Um, they found another uh, piece of malware attached to SolarWinds. It's like the fourth one so far uh, that they've identified, uh, which is really interesting. It just seems like they keep finding more and more uh, pieces of SolarWinds and, and the attack behind it. Uh, I don't think we're anywhere near the end of it for sure. I think we have a lot more to, to discover. Um, but it should be interesting how everything plays out. Um, yeah, so we're gonna also look at uh, an encoder for MSF Venom uh, that helps encode payloads to try to get past uh, different AVs and stuff like that. Um, uh, Chicago uh, Ganai, which is, it's been out there for a while. Um, but even back in 2019, it was detected being used by APT20 uh, to hide payloads. It all depends on the delivery and, and how many iterations, uh, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, still waiting on Steve. I don't know if he's uh, having problems there. Um, anyway. Well, so tell me a little bit more about um, Shikata Kanai, because it's, it's something that I you know, recently learned about. Um, it's not something that's being used frequently now, right? Because a lot of um, a lot of antivirus will pick it up, right? It'll right. it'll be detected. So, right. um, so how's that being used today? I guess. So, the way that I've been using Shikata Ganai, as far as in the lab, um, I'll take an EXE or you know some other code and inject it, um, and also encode it with Shikata Shikata Ganai, and then. Um, I do a lot of USB attacks, right? Like remote attacks where um, you have like uh, something hosted on a web server or like AWS. Um, and that's like gonna be your PowerShell script, right? So there's ways to get around those, those controls, uh, especially like if you're using PowerShell uh, and you can execute remotely execute something like that's encoded with Shikata and I. Um, but there's, there's all kinds of ways that, that you can do with Shikata. Um, really what you're doing with Shikata is just putting null bytes into the payload, um, which makes it really difficult to like pick up. Now there are like some payloads with Shikata with different iterations that you can absolutely get past AV without even having to worry about it. 
Um, but that takes a little bit more finesse and a little bit more, uh, a little bit more work to get it through. Um, but for beginners, I mean, it's a good way to like experiment with encoding and experiment with MS Venom, creating your own malware, um, your own malicious payloads. Uh, so what, what I try to do on the, on the podcast really is start like a beginner level and kind of introduce people to the tools, give like a brief overview of, you know, what, you know, what could be going on um, and then give them a little bit of heads up. Uh, so I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And if you create your own lab environment, it, it can be really good. Um, let's see. All right. For some reason, Steve is ha still having problems with his audio. So you hear me, Mike? Yes, absolutely. But I can't see you, Steve. Uh, it says uh, it can't start video because host has stopped it. Uh, Unable to start video. I will make Frenchie a host and he can mess with that. We'll go ahead and uh, start. Um, so, Steve, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to have you here. I think we actually have Ashley Pierre and Colin Hardy on the, on the podcast as well. Okay, uh, cool. Our, our alumni. Um, so, tell us about yourself, Steve. Yeah, sure. So, uh, as you say, my name is Steve Watts. I'm currently the head of security operations at Aldermore Bank uh, here in the UK. I've uh, been in IT for around 20 years, and, and around 10 of that has uh, been in cybersecurity, uh, doing a, a number of different jobs, primarily in critical national infrastructure, also in the, the financial sector, um, the main kind of industries that I've worked through. Um, worked from early on on help desks worked all the way through uh, i guess the, the normal route as you probably uh, you'd probably say coming through the technical support help desk help desk manager going into kind of windows and intel infrastructure management and there uh, then senior management in there and then uh, kind of got my first role um in in security um and went from there really so i'll probably dig into some of that today and uh, give you a bit of the background as to, to what that looked like if you want yeah, absolutely. Um, there's there's one question I wanted to ask you. So I was listening to there, there you are. are awesome. So I was listening Hello. to uh, one of your earlier podcasts, right, um, with Colin Hardy and, and Ashley Pierre, and you had a very uh, unique start uh, when it came to security. So maybe like briefly touch on that, and then we can get into the more nuts and bolts. Yeah, so uh, I guess going going way back as to how I first started, I think I got my hands on a computer really first time was in junior school um, when I was when I was really young. They had like Acorn computers, uh, you know, the terminal type computers. You can do like fork move the mouse or the cursor forward back. So I was just really interested in that from there. Really um, got on the computer as much as I could and, and did a little bit of uh, basic programming, and, and it just kind of stuck with me really. Um, since that was first introduction to it um, and and that just stayed at school where I didn't have a computer at home or anything like that I had the, a console um, but um, one night I sat down and started watching the film called War Games that probably everyone on on here is uh, is familiar with if you're not definitely go and check that out it's, a, it's an awesome film um, but yeah War Games basically got me got me into the whole uh, hacking scene into security and, and set me up to, to be where I am now really so um, yeah without going into the, the all of the plot for it there's a, there's a guy that's doing dial up doing a bit of uh, war dialing uh, in bulletin board systems uh, and basically breaks into uh, into NASA uh, and loads of kind of fun and games after that once all the plot but I was just uh, I was 
overwhelmed by by the fact that you could you know get on a computer connect to one at the other side of the world and, and really uh, you know affect and potentially cause something like that so um that, that film just just set me on that trajectory i wanted to learn as much about it as i could really so um managed to get my hands on it on a laptop um, my parents bought me a laptop uh, with a with a modem uh, back in the day there was you know there's no kind of internet like we have now no wi-fi just uh, good old modems so screeching away dialing up uh, onto various bulletin boards buying computer magazines and looking for bulletin boards in the back of those you know telephone numbers that I could dial up um came across some tools online to be able to do war dialing and see what you know kind of that was the Matthew Broderick the, the war games kind of influence then it was you know what can I, what can I see what can I find found all of these uh, hacking and underground type bulletin boards and I was just like wow <laughs> like where, where do I start there's just so much stuff that to get get my teeth into there was how to um, how to access systems, how to program, you know, um, all sorts of things. And I just really didn't know where to start. I, I just jumped in and having as many conversations with people on bulletin boards, getting to know people, getting into the community and just just swapping tips and ideas and tricks, learning about computers and, and you know, just looking at the, the security side of things, really. Um, and then you know, I think back in the bulletin board days, it was pretty difficult not to come across things like um, phone freaking. Um, I was started reading things like um, 2600, Call to the Dead Cow, um, Legions, of, you know, all those types of, all those types of kind of um, publications, if you like. And just, I, I was just, again, just bowled over by how interesting it was and what you could do to manipulate these systems and, and use them. So um, yeah, just learning as much as I could really um again vax and bms was was quite big back in the day so there was loads of uh, tools online for, for vax bms loads of default passwords and things so um just really absorbing as much of that as i could i guess um was was really where i started and, and that was um i think it was maybe just before i started school that was uh, high school that, that that was so um yeah that, that's that's how i got in into the into the scene i guess really that's uh, that's really interesting. Um, you mentioned BBSs, uh, BBSs and war dialing. So when I first became a pen tester, a lot of the work we did, we did you know war dialing on, on different devices and different networks. Um, you know, it brings back memories of the old days. So, did you start like your your legitimate security career as blue team or red team? And um, so, so. It's a bit of a bit of a strange one. So the bit that I've not covered off really was that um, when I moved from bulletin boards, so you know the internet came a little bit more mainstream and I got access to the internet. Um, my whole again, the world was just opened up to all the different forums that were online on the internet. So started doing various things on there, playing around, um, you know, getting interested in malware, downloading malware samples and, and testing things, breaking my machine. The amount of times I had to kind of uh, re-image my machine from doing things wrong was uh, was unreal. Um, but just really getting my hands on as, as much things as, as I could. And I had a couple of friends that were also interested in, in security and in IT. We, we had the same classes at school, IT classes. So we'd try and, you know, um, hack each other or get each other's passwords, give each other permission, obviously, to do that. We'd send each other, like Netbus was quite big back in the day, Netbus Trojan. So, uh, and, and it was packaged up as a whack-a-mole game. So we were like sending it to our, to our friend and saying, oh, try out this game, see if we get like a high score on it uh, and drop us, a, drop us an email back and tell us what score you got. Because back in the day then, when Hotmail was actually HTML Hotmail, 
Um, that's where the name comes from, if you didn't know. Um, but it, it actually came back with your source IP address, you know, your home IP address on, on the email. So you could quite easily take that IP address, put that into Netbus and connect to that person that had run the whack-a-mole game. So we had some good fun with uh, with a couple of our friends kind of opening their CD drawer and uh, sending them to websites, all that sort of uh, fun stuff. But just really, you know, really, really curious. Um, no, no maliciousness to it. Um, but I, I guess the... The interesting thing for me was just seeing what was out there. So I started, you know, scanning and seeing all of these these um, internet IP addresses that were open and that were infected with, with all these different things. So doing a lot of scanning. And anyway, cut a long story short, um, one day I came home from school and, and my dad kind of uh, sat me down and he said, I think we need to have a chat. And I was like, okay, this, this doesn't sound too good. What's, what's this about? And uh, my ISP had basically uh, sent him a letter saying that we've seen this activity, you know, coming from your machine, please like cease and desist basically, um, you know, before we take it any further. And my dad sat me down, he's really calm. Uh, I, I take after my dad quite a bit in terms of, um, he, he doesn't like, um, you know, he's, he always likes challenges and things like that. So he really knew that I wanted to carry on doing this, but he said to me, look, you're obviously good at this, um, but you can't, you can't be doing this, but you can't get in trouble. And I was like, well, I don't want to stop doing it because I absolutely love it. So let me, I need to find another way to kind of do it, do this. So that's kind of what led me down to the, the blue, blue team side of things, if you like, um, got me really interested in, in what you could do to stop this, this type of activity from hacking, how you stop yourself from getting infected and I kind of changed my whole um, approach to what I was thinking about security and, and went more on the defensive side. Um, but to, but to answer your question, my first role was in security architect, and um, so building secure systems, um, so very much kind of from the protective side. Um, it wasn't until a little bit further into my career that the company I was, I was working for, um, they were outsourcing the pen testing, uh, and I wanted to really be able to help, you know, cut some of the cost of pen testing, but also develop myself as well. So I went and uh, got my father's ethical hacker um, and kind of used my red team skills in, in the business then really. But the majority of my uh, career has been, it's been blue. Yeah, it's been on the uh, protection, putting in secure systems, and then uh, on the response side, kind of uh, responding to any incidents, that sort of thing, so... So I have a question. I see lots of organizations really focusing on blue team, right? Because um, our company does penetration testing and it's a challenge for me, you know, to, to educate why an organization needs a pen test. Cause a lot of times they'll just invest a lot of money on the blue side. Um, so I'm curious to like understand more about the dynamic and you seem very well-rounded um, where you're an ethical hacker and you're on the defensive side. So what's the dynamic like between the two sides? Um, do you guys work well together? I know there's purple teaming, but you know, how does that all kind of come together? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So I think in terms of companies throwing a lot of uh, resource and money and energy um, at Blue, I, I think there's, and many people have said this, and I know you've had Greg uh, Vandergast on as well, Mike, and a big kind of um, person calling out the fact that instead of doing all of the reaction, really we need to be kind of shifting left, if you like, down the kill chain and doing protection protect these systems in the first place so that blue there's not as much things for blue teams to actually have to you know uh, respond to 
So I think um, you will definitely always need blue teams and, and, your, and your security operations. They, they will always be there. And, and humans as well. And we'll probably get onto that. We talked a little bit about that uh, on last night on chat about automation. But um, yeah, blue, blue team, but definitely try and you know, fix your problems downstream, stop it, stop those, uh, those need, the need for a reaction. But there always will be one. Uh, you, know, you need to assume breach. Um, so you, you need your blue team, but then you also need, you, you know, your red teams to come in and test those things and, and try and as best they can um, put that uh, threat actor hat on and uh, and try and test. And, and not just, you know, pen testing is, is, is one thing and everyone will be doing pen testing, but it's also doing your pen testing uh, whilst working with your blue team. So, you know, not just we're going to go and test this this uh, this web server over here and then a report comes over, people read it. You also want to be including your blue team to see how they're reacting to that, make sure they've got the right log set up so that if that if that attack does occur, that you know in a test scenario that you're going to get the right signals through, that you're going to get all the information through so that if that does occur for, for real, that you, you know, you're prepped and you, and you set up as a blue team. And, you know, the combination, as you, as you said, that the purple team in, in the middle is, is super important. You know, that dynamic needs to be that they just both work to make each other better. You know, a red teamer is going to make it uh, more difficult for a blue teamer. Um, and, and then they're going to share those TTPs and the blue team is going to get better. The blue team is going to use all of their skills to be able to stop that red team. And therefore, the red team are going to have more of a challenge and they're going to be pushed and, and kind of stretched to, to do certain things. So it's a, it's a, I won't say it's a love-hate love because everyone loves each other. Right? But it, it's a definitely, yeah, it's definitely feed, feeding off each other. And just uh, for me, it's just sharing that knowledge, you know, um, and it's not different sides of the, of the fence. It's just uh, different approaches to the same problem for me. It's, yes. really, it's really interesting, too, because, you know, we talk about red team and blue team quite a bit. Um, but I come from the mindset that, you know, when it when it comes to building an organization, I want my people to know both sides. I want them to be able to be able to compromise the system so that they can really understand what's going on on the defensive mm -hmm. side, if that's their job, being defense. Um, but the mindsets are different, too. Uh, we talked about that a little bit last night as far as what makes the blue team the blue team and, and what comprises the, the red team psychology. Um, but yeah, that, that's, you know, it's a really good point. It's a good conversation to have. Maybe we can get into that in a little bit. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> with, with building your teams, what do you look for in a candidate? Let's say, you know, you, you have somebody trying to get into uh, the industry and you want to give them an opportunity. What are some of the key points that you look for um, that makes somebody more attractive as far as, uh, a red team or blue team or, or, or any team really, you know, what kind of traits do you look for individually in a person? So it's really good timing actually, because I've just signed up to a mentor site. I've just taken on some mentorees. I've, I've got a couple now um, that, you know, feel quite grateful to be able to start giving back to the industry and you get asked those questions. Um, you know, how do we get into cybersecurity? What's somebody looking for? How do we get into cybersecurity when um, I don't have any experience? If I'm fresh out of school, people are saying, I'm seeing jobs that say five years worth of experience or these certifications. How do people expect us to get into the industry when, when you know, we can't, we can't because you've, you've blocked us straight away? And these are really clever people, right? These are people that need to be in our industry. They're really passionate. Um, so, so it is very difficult from that perspective. And, and as a mentor, I guess what, what I, I say to people is, well, the first questions, and I blogged on this recently, actually, uh, on how to break into the industry. The questions I asked 
to people as a, as a mentor and also the same similar questions when I interview is, you know, what, what is it that um, makes you want to enter this industry? You know, why this industry over, over any other really? Um, because for me, really, really, I'm looking for somebody that, that's passionate. You know, you can get some people that aren't necessarily passionate and, you know, and, and live and breathe this stuff, um, but they're really good at the job. So you wouldn't use that to rule it out, but certainly somebody being passionate and, and getting that sense that they really are interested in, in, the, in the role is, is a big thing for me, really. Um, and, and just willingness to learn, I think, um, you know, understand loving puzzles and challenges because that's literally you know what our job is whether you're defending whether you're attacking it's a puzzle it's a challenge and every single day is different and that's what attracts most people i think to this to this role is that you know you you go in into work in the morning and the day that you have is is not going to be the same as any other day you've had there'll be something that's slightly different you know there'll be a new news story that you need to look at and and all those sorts of things it's an ever-evolving thing so yeah passion inquisitiveness and determination um, and it's more really about the mindset. Um, I, I don't necessarily look for somebody that's had, you know, 10, 20 years worth of um, uh, experience in, in the industry. And some of the best people I've seen come into organisations have had very little, if any, IT or, or cyber uh, security experience. But they've come from backgrounds where it's, their mindset is, uh, you know, military, for example. You know, you'll know yourself, Mike military people are very mission orientated goal focused they uh, adapt they overcome they see a problem over it under it round it through it whatever it is that it's that type of mentality that i think uh, is, is really key yeah absolutely um one of the things that i look for when i when i interview candidates as well is creativity right so mm-hmm. it's not so much you know knowing how to penetrate a system or knowing which exploits to use it's more of for me it's more of the thought pattern and how creative they are. Uh, I don't expect everybody to know everything. And one thing that irritates me, especially in the industry, is we have a tendency to do these interviews with like a panel of people, right? So there's like five or six people in a room and it's one candidate and they're getting hammered from every side. And these I hate are, those panel interviews. Yeah, it's horrible because it's like, you know, you have it's, you're people. nervous enough going into an interview and then it's like you're being judged by like a panel of five people that are comfortable in their chairs, you know? Exactly. And everybody has a different level of expertise in different areas. So you walk into this gauntlet of, of people and each one has their own specialties, but they expect you to know all of the specialties, you know, as a candidate. And I think that turns turns candidates away pretty quick. And I think another problem we have in the industry as far as like hiring and, and positions is we're not promoting from within. Um, mm-hmm. We have, you know, jobs that open up in a mid-level. And so you see these jobs on the internet for people with five years experience. Why not move one of your other people up into that role and open a door for someone new in security? You know, by, by not doing that, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice and actually limiting our capabilities as, as an industry. Um, but that's my opinion. I, I think that there's, there's ways that we can, you know, maneuver this whole idea of a shortage of talent. I don't think there's a shortage of, a cha- a shortage of talent. I think it's really just mismanagement of requisitions and, and people. Well, so to- I think I think there's like that qualitative side and the quantitative side, right? So from like what you guys are saying, you're looking for someone with passion, creativity. Those are things that is hard for like a job recruiter to quantify, right? So if I'm an HR person, I'm just looking at numbers, stats. Everyone is just a number and stat. And I think that's the problem. But how do you guys even suggest addressing or fixing that, you know, because you're trying to scale 
there's all these jobs opening and a recruiter only knows so much. So they're just looking at numbers, certifications, like it's all just numbers. Um, and you guys are saying the most valuable um, people are the ones that have all these kind of intangible things like the creativity, the, the passion, the things that you, it's so hard to measure on a resume. So the, the key thing missing out of that process is people. And I think Steve can, you know, cover that, that people aspect of it. Cause we talked a little bit about it last night, but I think he agrees and kind of like we speak from the same platform about how important people are. Um, so why don't you give us your, your, your view of people in the industry? Yeah. So uh, it's a big subject, but I always say it starts with the people, you know, the only reason we've got jobs in this industry is because people want to do things that, you know, to break into systems, it's all people driven, you know, that we're solving a people problem. Um, you know, people are a problem because they're the one that, you know, trying to uh, conduct the attacks and it's people that are going to come back and, and respond to them. So, um, it's, it's a difficult question to answer in terms of the hiring because you, you are right, Tommy, it's, it, how do you, it is intangible. It's not like, and this is why I think a lot of people get stuck up uh, or hung up on, you need to be a CISP, you need to be a OSCP, you need X, Y, and Z because they, they automatically use that level to say, that well, that person must be good at doing that thing. So therefore they are going to be of use to me in the organization. And I think there is some element of that. There is some element of truth um, to that. But again, if you just purely basing your hiring off off those um, kind of that, that criteria, you're just going to miss so many uh, amazing people out there. Uh, you just do a disservice to to, to yourself and, and the industry. So I think it very much is you have to work with your HR teams to, to try and get that across them. And I've worked with some really good HR and recruitment teams before where I've said, look, you know, um, we, we can't be driven by certifications and, and experience. I need somebody that that can come along and, and, you know, is a problem solver, is creative, like you say, Mike. And you're not really going to know that until you get those people in, in front of you. Um, and, and you start, you know, picking, picking them, picking them up, not apart really, but, you know, just asking the questions. Them. Yeah, see, seeing how they, how they think and, you know, give them, a, give them a, a question, see how they respond to it, all that sort of thing. Just really get to know them, I think, is, is the main thing. Um, because it is our, our industry, I say it over and over, it's it's about the people, it's not about the technology, it's it's all about the people, really. Um, you know, we need to look after our people and we need to make sure we're, we're getting the right people for the job um, and not pigeonholing people as well. And that, awesome. That brings up a good point too about learning people and getting to know people as people and not employees. Um, because the biggest problem that, that companies have with compromises and breaches is insider threat, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if you don't get to know who your people are and, and they don't have some sort of connection with you as a person and you're not interested in their life outside of work and you don't encourage them to, you know, do the things that they, they have a passion for, mm -hmm. you're potentially building that insider threat. Um, and some of those companies, it's very dangerous to do that. So I always tell people in companies, you know, if you don't know the guy sitting in front of like, let's say an IDS or monitoring your network, if you don't know what his, his passions are, you don't know what he does outside of work or, or you know, the things he enjoys doing other than work, then you're failing because mm -hmm. he's a person, not an employee, you know, and that needs to be embraced. And, and I think that that kind of culture will kill that whole insider threat issue unless it's like a targeted APT. <laughs> no, I totally agree. Yeah, for me, it's it's 
I've always said it's about people and relationships and, and networks and understanding the people, understand what makes them tick. Uh, one to make sure that you know that the uh, the happy, um, you know, the, the industry that we're in is a, is a very stressful one. You know, there's, there's lots of stressful industries, but you know, speaking specifically to this one, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of imposter sy- syndrome, there's a lot of long hours, all those types of things, and you know, we owe it to our our uh, staff to to basically always be looking out for them you know checking in with them understanding what works for them understanding how they work and and, and really nurturing people um and yeah if you do that the the knock-on benefits are exactly as you say there mike you know you get a happy workforce you know that, that kind of takes that from the table you know in, in that instance and it's just it just makes so much sense you get more productivity out of the person they're happier you're going to retain those people as well they're not going to go elsewhere and take all that knowledge you know with them that you've built up over institutional knowledge over years and years you know going back to your point before we do need to be recruiting um, internally because those people have built up all of that knowledge they've all the all of the network and relationships that have built up over time that makes them a good a good person to have we, we, we want to move them around and encourage you know um them staying within the company for, for all those reasons absolutely you know, what's seems- your favorite interview question that you ask um to to understand um you know how someone thinks and if they're they're a good fit um what's your favorite interview question and i want to hear one from from steve and one from mike because mike i know you're looking for creativity steve you're looking for that passion that drive and and how they tinker with something right so what's your yeah. favorite interview question do you want me to go first mike yeah go ahead yeah I think for me, one of the questions that I like asking is like kind of what's caught your eye in the industry this week? You know, just a nice open question, you know, and at the moment, solar winds would should probably be the top of most people's uh, list, I, I imagine. Uh, so it, it, for me, then it's really about saying, you know, what what do you know about that, that particular uh, incident? Um, you know, how has it played out? And, and just really leave it down to them to explain back to me what they think and then maybe throw a few questions in there as, you know, if you were a blue teamer, what what would you be thinking? Well, as soon as you hear that story break, what would you be what would be going through your mind? What would you be thinking? You know, and just really seeing how that plays out, and and then seeing how that fits with with the type of person that I need within my team, really. So, yeah, just let them um, let them come back to me open, on a pretty open question, and uh, just just let them uh, run away with it. I guess, yeah. Nice. So, my favorite question that I've been that I've personally been asked. Um, was back in 2005, I flew up to Redmond, Washington to Microsoft and I was uh, interviewing for a um, kind of like a program manager for code scrubbers, right? They would scrub the code and they, you know, bring the code to me and say, hey, these are the issues. Do you want to release it or not? Um, So I was expecting this really technical interview and, and, you know, just grueling interview because it was a day long. Um, But the most interesting question I was asked was I was sitting in in a really cluttered small office at Microsoft campus and lady walks in and she's sitting there and she goes, okay, um, our interview is going to be really short. I just have one question to ask. She said, uh, there's an object in this room I'm thinking about. It's your job to figure out what that item is by asking the least amount of questions. And I thought, Hmm, okay, well, this (laughs) is different. Um, so yeah, I mean, those type of things, you know, just trying to see where they're, where the, where the people are, you know, how they think, um, how they deduce, you know, issues or problems. Um, but one of the other things I like to ask um, potential candidates as well is, you know, I, I, I want to know not the book level. You know, I, I don't want to know, you know, if you have it, if you have a certification, it's great. You know, I respect that. 
But I want to know if I was to give you, you know, system A and, you know, these are the vulnerabilities listed, what would you do? There's no right or wrong answer. You know, just tell me what, how you'd flow through that system or, or what you would look at first um, just to see, you know, their thought patterns. And then, of course, I was asked my, my token question at the end of the interview is, are you involved in any kind of art, whether it be music, painting, drawing? Uh, because I find those people are usually some of the best analysts uh, because they look at things a different way. Um, and they're not, you know, they don't look black and white. They're kind of like, you know, very creative and, and you know, they give you more of a, a holistic picture rather than, you know, this is what's popping across the IDS or whatever. So, yeah. So that, that's, those are my favorite questions. Um, now, I do know that, Steve, you have a background in martial arts as well, right? I do, yeah. Yeah, I've done uh, martial arts since I was, again, probably around the same time, since I was really young. I got into it, um, yeah, probably when I was around um, 11 or 12, something like that. And I've done it on and off um, since then, really. Um, but, yeah, I've done Thai boxing and kickboxing for over seven years. So that's my art, I guess. I'm not musical or anything like that, but... Uh, yeah, certainly the martial art is. And that is seems a, to be, <laughs> yeah, that seems to be kind of a, a theme across the security industry, right? So I know at least two or three people that are involved in martial arts or some type of uh, MMA, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Jeremiah Grossman, who started um, White Hat, is really into MMA. Like he, that's mm -hmm. his that's his thing. Um, but I think that again is that that calculative, strategic kind of view and that that combat sport kind of. Uh, pushes things. And, and that kind of opens up another, another question too, um, as far as like red team, blue team. So I know with, with red team, we have sort of, it's a, the reaction. Once you get into a system, your body reacts a certain way. Uh, the biofeedback is pretty amazing. And I did a thing out in Sandia national labs called Tularosa project Tularosa. So um, at the time I was staying with my parents and I got a, a call, an email saying, Hey, look, you know, Sandia National Labs wants, you know, you to come out and do this, this project. And I get the uh, contract and most of it was redacted. I couldn't figure out, you know, what I was really doing. But I went out there and it hooked me up to all different kinds of sensors and stuff and had us break into like this mock SCADA network. And the whole purpose was to kind of measure and look at the biometric feedback, blood pressure, eye movement from the camera, um, keystroke, keystroke logging, um, heart rhythm, I had to wear a little bracelet that had a, a monitor on it. So it was really interesting. And I come to find out after that whole experiment, looking at the uh, project summary was that when red teamers or hackers get into a system, the chemicals that are released in the body's reactions, a lot like that of narcotics. Um, so I think a lot of people, you know, we talked about this last night. Like if, if someone told me I couldn't hack into a machine that I was no longer allowed to have a lab and, and do exploits and exploit development, I think I would lose my mind um, mm -hmm. because it, it, it's, it's addictive. Um, so from a blue team point of view, there has to be a, a high level of stress that goes with that because with an attacker, we just have to be right once, but with mm -hmm. blue team, they have to be right all the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so a couple of points there. I think um, 
for me that the whole martial arts, cybersecurity, blue team, it's all about the challenge for me. You know, you've got, you've, you're putting yourself against somebody else. You know, they've got a certain set of skills. They want to do something. You want to do something else. And it's that whole kind of game of chess in the ring in the same ways as, you know, behind the keyboard, you know, they, they want, they want a different outcome from this particular engagement than you basically. Right. So it's, it's who's going to come out on top and who's, who's, um, you know, who's going to win basically. And I think that that's the, the driver for why I do tie box and it's to test myself, it's to, it's to push myself. And, and um, yeah, likewise with, with security, it's all, always about that, you know, that challenge and, and finding ways to do things and, and trying to outsmart or out, outwit other people, I guess. That, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Um, but in terms of the, the question around stress, you are absolutely, for, for the blue team, that, that's you know, it goes back to what I was saying before. It, it can be such a um, a stressful a stressful um, role to be in because it, it um, it's always changing. You know, there's always different things that you need to learn, and there's always different technologies every every week. You know, um, containerization's coming along, and then you've got all of these different uh, various different technologies, and and you've got to sometimes can be difficult to understand all of those technologies and the security implications that they have right because you've got teams that are specialists in all of those things you've got cloud specialists you've got devops specialists you've got all these different and they look at that we have to be able to look at it right across the piece and understand it to the degree where we can do our do our job so this constant cycle of having to keep up to date not just in the security industry but in technology in general can can be you know uh, can be a challenge can, can be very difficult and so, so there's also that element to it but yeah absolutely you know I've coined something called um, FOGO. So, we've, you know, we've got a fear of missing out. We've got like fear of getting owned. And, you know, that, that's what it is for me. It's like, you know, um, everybody who works in, in the blue team um, is there to, to stop something like that from happening. So, you know, you always, if me, for example, I'm always checking Twitter, I'm always checking the news feeds, my phone blows up. So, because you want to make sure that you're always ahead of the curve as much as you can be you always you know got the best um opportunity to to do your job well so you really have to um stay on top of that you really have to um check your check yourself um quite often to make sure it's not running away with you because especially if like you said before like it you know you're really passionate about this stuff it's hard to pull your head out of it and and just give yourself some, some time um you need to be able to check yourself and make sure that um you're not getting too stressed out that you're not going to get burnt out and that sort of thing so yeah that, that's why i think mental health in in the uh, security industry at the moment is, is one of the big things that everybody talks about because um yeah if it's left unchecked it, it can be um it can be very bad so yeah that's that brings up a good point too with with the mental health i mean i just recently lost a friend of mine uh in texas that was in the industry um and I had just talked to him right after Christmas and then I got a, a message from one of his coworkers that he had passed. Um, and we see that across the industry. Like it, it's a real problem um, because it is a fast paced uh, industry and, and, and there is a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure to keep up with, with the technology, a lot of pressure to keep up with the exploits. And it's just, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. um, and some people don't have that outlet or, or don't know what to do with it. Uh, so there's a huge push in the industry right now for, um, you know, mental health. We, in our Discord server, we actually have uh, a channel just for mental health. You know, yeah, people are struggling or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so another thing too, I, I know I introduced you to one of our, you know, mutual, mutual contacts um, to talk about maybe helping kids. So 
you know, that, that's something that, that I'm pretty passionate about um, when it comes to kids who are like problematic and, and probably going to go down the wrong path. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of work with them and the Met Police in, in London. Uh, so tell me your view on, you know, what's your passion with that and, and how do you, the capacity you want to get involved with, with helping, you know, kids come into the industry and, and really learn and grow with what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, given you know, what you said about my background, I, I could have quite easily gone down a, a, a different way. Um, you know, there was that intervention from the ISP, I guess, if, if you like, if it was, hadn't for that, who knows? So I think I've just been been really lucky that that happened to me. And I always kind of promised myself that I'd I'd pay that pay that back if you like you know so always looking for different opportunities to, to speak to um not not you're not not just young children but obviously um they're, they're the main people that get into it but there's other people in this industry that just decide you know what i'm just going to go down the, down this path so anyone that will listen basically I'll, I'll try and talk to them and let them know that there's other ways to put their creativity and their curiosity um to good use without having to you know risk you know risk going down that path really so i've done a number of talks for schools and and uh, you know introduce people to the different types of um teams that they could get into and uh, whether it's red team blue team you know, there's really that many teams that somebody can get into it so it's really making it a, a attractive for them um and, and showing them why go staying legal and commercial and and, and uh, if you like going down that route is is a better option than um than the other path and um, so yeah really really passionate about that um and and just yeah make sure that they they put their creativity and, and everything to good use yeah so Trammy, a question for you and you can follow this up as well steve um ideal job your dream job in cybersecurity. go I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in my dream job in cybersecurity. Um, I, I love being on the offensive side. Um, I love like just working with the hackers. I, cause I learned so much, right. I don't need to know all the details, all the attacks and exploits, but um, for me, it's just super interesting because I use the internet. I have seen, you know, the internet grow and how we're so tethered to technology or phones and different screens. So for me, it's almost like naive to neglect where it's going and security is such an important thing. Um, So I feel like this is my dream job because I get to use my creativity, um, you know, my graphic skills, my, my marketing and help tell a story in the industry that is so gloomy and, (laughs) and dark. Um, I, so I feel like I can kind of just, I get to come from like a positive space, you know, like, Hey, yes, there are bad actors out there. So how can we help people protect themselves? Um, and penetration testing is one of them. Um, so I kind of like the contrast cause I'm just really bubbly and, and nice, but it's cool that I get to work on the offensive side and kind of like learn all how to like switch gears and get into the mindset of like a threat actor. Right. So I, I love that. I, I feel like I'm in my dream job right now. That's all of them. I love that. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I think very similar uh, to Trammy, to be fair. Um, I'd, I'd say that it's where I am now, and not just from a career perspective, but just, I mean, I mean where, where I am um, with the, 
your ability to be able to, to give back. You know, I've, I've had a career path and a plan of where I wanted to get to. Um, and that has really taken me to, the, to where I am now, to the point where I can now do other things. I can, you know, do the mentoring. I can do uh, the, these podcasts that, that I haven't done previously and start to really, really give back. I'm, I'm lucky that uh, my, my role allows me to do that. And, and specifically to the role, I love the fact that I, I've got the hands-on technical side of things because I love being technical, I love being in the weeds. But I, I also get to manage people as well because, as I say, it's about the people. So it's, it's great to be able to, 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 to manage people and, and uh, you know, help them to grow and, and learn and, and, and also learn from them myself as well um so yeah hands-on i can do some the strategy side of things so really bits from from all all over and then i get to i'd say go home but i'm always at home now unfortunately because of covid <laughs> but I get, to, I get to log off uh, from up from work and then come on and do things like this and you know hope to hope to give stuff back to people as well so yeah for me just in a generally a good place from that perspective that you know work work is uh, the role that, I, uh, that i've always wanted and i've got all this other stuff that i can do as well so yeah absolutely you know the the dream job that i would have i think is is this podcast really um it's given me a, an outlet to and a platform to speak from and, and really work with people so we have an 11 year old sometimes that comes onto the podcast and hangs out with us in discord um, really sharp kid. I've talked about him a million times. It's amazing. Um, but to see that, that level of knowledge and advanced skill set at such an early age is, is shocking. And it goes back to what Trammy said about, you know, the internet technology's come so far. I mean, when you look at a cell phone, you know, if it's in the palm of your hand and it literally has more computing power than a first supercomputer. Um, so it's both, you know, like a, a really exciting time, but it's also a really scary time if it's not handled correctly. Um, For sure. So, yeah, like uh, any other questions that you may have, Trammy? I'm going to open up the chat here in a second. Um, same rules apply as, as always. No disrespect. No whatever. Please act professional in the chat um, and uh, we'll go from there. Ms. Ryan. Hey, mate. Hello. Hey, man. How you doing? How's yeah. it going, Ryan? How you going, Tremmy? Ryan's always living the dream over there. <laughs> He's got the dream job there. For yeah. sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you so know I've got what? a question. Can I yeah. jump in with a question? It's yeah. Fiona. She's got a bit of a bad, bad connection, but it's uh, there's been so many references to ethical hacking. Given the ethical landscape is constantly shifting in response to social dynamics, what does this term mean to you and how do we keep the ethical dialogue open and alive so as to maintain a process of self-reflection and accountability? Wow, Gee. awesome question. Um, <laughs> so assuming that one was for me, I'll, I'll take a stab at that. That's you, man. That's for me, yeah. Okay, cool. So um, I think it's, it is difficult. I, th I think you've got the, the legal side of things that, you know, uh, changes and we've seen people get... Um, kind of arrested uh, for for bug bounty type stuff and um, so they, they think they're being ethical and, and to, to them they're not they're not doing some, anything malicious and then suddenly before they know it you know that they've uh, got people kicking the door down and, and arresting them so i think it, it's really difficult from that perspective um and i think also and we had a little bit of a chat about this in, in the discord uh, last night as well it, it's difficult to be and if you're an ethical hacker, then you already on on the back foot. 
because you know the, the real threat actors aren't ethical. Okay, then people are attacking hospitals, um, you know, with ransomware and, and you know these fatalities, or people using COVID to send um, phishing emails to say that they come within you know such distance and they, they could be infected. There's just you know you're not going to. An ethical hacker, you know, the fact that they're ethical, they're not going to do those things. So you, you're already struggling to recreate that attacker's mindset, the attacker's TTPs, because, you, because you're boxed. So um, I think, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to, to kind of simulate that attacker and be ethical at the same time. And when you are being ethical, when people are getting arrested for it, it's, it's very uh, kind of gray area. So, um, yeah, great, great question. Um, I'm not sure I have a perfect answer for it, but... Um, yeah, def- definitely uh, need to keep more of an eye on on the, the landscape and the, and the legislation. Um, yeah, just keep yourself safe, I guess, while you're doing it. And, and a lot of the things like the bug bounty and a lot of companies now issue you know, what you can and can't do. So definitely pay attention to those. If, if you're trying to go for a system to do a bug bounty and you've not got those guidelines, I'd say move on and go elsewhere so that you've at least got some legal cover uh, before you do that and you don't get somebody knocking on your door. Right. Absolutely. How do you how do you cement how do you cement in those those guidelines? Like, how do you know they're legit? Like, how, is there a process you go through to, you know, uh, basically make sure you're on the right side of the law? Or so from a from a pen test perspective, from the ethical hacker pen testing perspective, if you're going to go and do that for another company, then you'll generally get you know what you can and can't do. You know, you're not the, the, in this test. You can't do any DDoS. In this test, you can't drop any tables if you if you pop a SQL server. You can't X, Y, and Z basically. So it's very you know it should be quite tight from a legal contract perspective uh, <coughs> as a, as a um, pen tester and a red team on your engagement. So absolutely, you know, if you are doing that, you the company that you're working for needs to be looking after you making sure that those terms are, are very clear in there and if they're not clear then you need to get make them clear or stay stay away from that particular thing that you want to do um yeah it's 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 generally down to a contract for for i guess a pen tester or a red teamer yeah it's defining that scope for that <laughs> assessment right so yeah. for, for me ethical is I'm going to I'm going to talk to you about what I'm going to do so that you know what to expect so there's that transparency um, where it falls into the unethical is if you're doing something behind my back that we didn't talk about, right? Yeah. So there's a good story about that, right? Uh, about scope and, and scope creep and, you know, doing things that are like questionably, like unethical. Um, a couple of friends of mine from Coal Fire uh, got arrested last year during a pen test when they carried out a physical um, assessment on a courthouse. Well, the court didn't clarify things with the local police and there was there was a mix-up in communication so they compromised this building in the middle of the night and got arrested for getting into the building um so that's another thing too like contracts are really important when it comes to understanding you know the scope because the scope may be very defined but if other parties that, that may not be privy to those you know, don't get that information, it could be really sticky. Um, so for Steve, I got a question from Mohammed. Uh, what's been one of your biggest achievements that you're proud of? I think kind of going back to what I was saying before about where I am now, being able to do the mentorship, you know, having the confidence in myself to know that um, 
that I'm, I can talk about these things and, and pass that knowledge on to other people. I think that, that's the thing that I'm most proud of. Um, and being able to talk to the, you know, the, the children in, in the schools and, and you, you're never going to know, I guess, whether or not you've stopped somebody from doing that. You can only hope, but you know, the fact that you're there saying it is, is, is something. Um, and possibly something else as well. Uh, I know you've only asked for one, I'll give you two. Uh, the other thing is um, I do a lot of open source intelligence um, search parties. Um, and I've blogged about that, that they're on my blog uh, and you know, really proud of the fact that I've got the kind of skills to be able to do that. And, and I know the people that can join me on, the, on those teams to be able to do those open source uh, intelligence search parties. And, and for those that don't know what that is, definitely go and have a look at uh, Trace Labs. Um, fantastic, fantastic team of people out there. There's Ryan. I know Ryan's, uh, Ryan's uh, all over with, with Trace Labs, but they basically um, have captured a flag type contest but with with this there's a bit more seriousness to it so basically what will happen is um you'll join them you'll join the the open <coughs> search party and then um, you you're basically given real missing persons cases you know uh, i think this varies but normally around 10 missing people that are that'll, you know mi missing people from um from the law enforcement officers and, and your job is basically to to use open source use the internet use google use any any kind of um tool at your disposal legally uh, within some guidelines you know going back to what we say they, they issue some guidelines for what you can and can't do very important and, and your task basically is to see if you can find any information that may be able to help locate um that person for the for the family uh, for the family of the person that's gone missing so um you going ryan so have you ever experienced any vicarious trauma from your from your experience with OSINT? Like, I know that myself personally, I came across some, I, came, I discovered a suicide note that was uh, hidden on a gaming server. Mm -hmm. um, have you come across this and how have you dealt with that? How, how have you worked through that process? Yeah, it, I mean, even if you don't come across something like that, just the fact that this person is missing and you and you um, you see who the family are, you're looking through news stories, you you know, you're looking on the on the Facebook page and you're seeing the last thing that they posted, things like that. It, it's uh, it's it's hard going. It, it really is a, a kind of um, when when I jump into those, and again, it's, I've got this, uh, I've blogged on this, but I, I throw my headphones on, um, don't let anybody come into into the room that I'm in, and just kind of zone into it. Um, and then at the end of it, I take my headphones off and you're just absolutely exhausted, you know, just mentally drained. You need to go and decompress and do, do something fun, you know, whatever it is, because I have come across things like that where, you know, they've been found out that the person, unfortunately, you know, is not alive anymore or, or, or even just sometimes it's the unknown. You know, you don't know whether or not this evidence. So, so as part of the search party, you uh, submit the evidence to the evidence board and then that's collected by the Trace Labs team uh, and then taken on to law enforcement for mm -hmm. them to, uh, to take that action, hopefully actionable, actionable intelligence and, and uh, help them to aid their investigation. So even if you don't come across something like that and there's no closure on it, it, it for me sometimes it's the not knowing you know how yeah. is what i've done is yeah. what i've done done something but I, I tend to just spin that back as positively as you can and say look i don't know but let's just say it has let's just say that what i've just you know, spent that four five six hours doing that one piece of information that i found or my team found and put forward could make the difference to somebody's life so i think you know back to mom's question awesome question that thank you um yeah that that's probably up, up there with some of the, the things i'm proud of the most i think that's so, awesome yeah. um next question what is your favorite blue team tool 
routine to others. I mean, there's, there's too, too much, too many to name, I guess. But one of the things that question that poses though is um, that I've been thinking about is how how many of the tools that we use now take us away from um, the fundamentals. You know, you get a blinky box or you know a tool, and and you go install it, and and people, and you know your your, your team is running it, but don't necessarily understand the you know the the under underlines of it. And um, so, I think I think that's an interesting one for me. We kind of de um, what's the best the best term to use? Um, kind of taking the, taking away the technical elements and put wrapping them in, in tools. And we talked about this a little bit last night. I think Mike with uh, AI and ML and all that sort of thing. Um, I think we just need to be careful with these these tools that we don't um, just point click and hope that the system is going to tell us tell us that when something bad happens. Um, I think we put a bit too much faith in faith into those. Yeah, so that that also opens up another discussion about um, people and relationships, right? So I think with the dawning of this buzzword AI, um, we're kind of putting ourselves into disservice because we're expecting a, a system to think for us and be able to detect behavior, which mm-hmm. I have a real problem with because I've seen some of those tools work and I've, I've ran some pretty bad uh, actions against systems and they haven't picked it up because it, if if a network is already hosed with bad traffic and bad actors and you put AI into it and machine learning, um, it's going to learn that that behavior is normal because that behavior existed before you put that box in. Um, and I try to tell clients that if, you know, if you want AI, you really have to do some forensics and, and some threat hunting um, or you're wasting your time and your money really. Yeah. yeah you, you need a, you need that good baseline to, to go from that. Like, exactly like you say, Mike, you know, you need to make sure that you're in a good place before something goes in like that. Cause otherwise garbage in garbage out really, isn't it? So. Yeah. Same, same thing with logs too. So next question, um, being from the UK, what do you think needs to change to help the security industry become more prevailing and show organizations, people security needs to be taken seriously? I think, um, so in terms of security being taken seriously, I think the, the media is, is doing uh, a good job of that for us. I think, you know, just the, the size of some of the incidents that are taking place at the moment, um, boards can't um, can't ignore that. You know, um, it's it's mainstream media. It's there. The people are picking it up in the newspapers. They're watching it in the morning, having the, having the coffee. You can't really escape it. So, you know, most companies now will be looking at that and, you know, the good boards, good companies are coming back in into the business and saying, "What are we doing about solar winds? You know, what are we doing about ransomware now? You know, the, having these types of conversations that just weren't had by boards, you know, many years ago." Um, so I think, I think that just that in itself, the, the industry and and how mainstream cybersecurity is, hacking, compromises, ransomware, it's in your face every day. So you know, boards are recognising that. that um, it, it's on their agenda more and more these days. So um, I think for, for me, the, as much as you've got that, you know, a business is going to be risk based. You know, they, they're going to they're going to have to take that. And, and I think as a, as a security leader, your your job is to take those types of things, distill it down to what that means to your business and, and what your business's risk appetite is, and then um, put your business case forward. And you know, that, and that's that's where your job comes into to selling that to the board. Um, but yeah, it's it's easier now than probably previously when when you didn't have all these mainstream media type stories that, that are seen by people all, all day every day. Exactly, exactly. Um, 
So another thing too, with, with the UK, the look at cybersecurity is a little bit more um, in depth, I think, uh, than the US because US is more commercial and more uh, money driven. Uh, and so a lot of those types of uh, focuses as far as like security goes, there's no return on investment uh, with security in most cases. So That's a great point. Yeah. So they don't want to spend money on that type of technology. They don't want to build up these huge teams because when, when they do that and there's no return on investment, the first thing the board says is, you know, what are we getting out of this and, and how exactly is this benefiting us financially? Uh, to be honest with you, unless they're, they're breached, they don't really see the return. Exactly. Um, it's so intangible. It's like, if you're, if you have the right security measures in place, then they, it's like, you're good. You're not breached, but they don't see that as a, a benefit, right? They're just like, well, what, what are you guys doing until they get breached? And then they start to look at it from a different angle. Yeah, that's, that's a challenge. Cause I being on the marketing side of it, we're always trying to encourage companies, especially small ones, right? I'm not talking about like the big, large ones that has this big, large cybersecurity budget or regulated industries where it's a requirement, but you know, just your everyday small startup or something, you know, like they also need to be protected, but they're so in the nuts and bolts of like, just, you know, getting from getting out of the red that it's hard for them to justify that security budget because it's so intangible. It's like, you know, you don't want to invest in a home security until you, your house gets broken into. Um, for a lot of people, it's just, it, it comes down to the money. Like if, if I have to feed my family, I'm not going to worry about an alarm system. I'll just lock the door and hope for the best. Exactly. Um, so Steve, what is your biggest fear at night? Let's say you go home or well, obviously you're still home because of the pandemic. Um, but let's say you're in your office and you go home at night. What keeps you up at night as being a management and a leader? I think it's, it's to, it goes back to that FOGO that I mentioned, you know, that, that fear of, of, of uh, being on your watch that something happens. Um, so, you know, that that's something that I think keeps every security person awake. You know, it's one of the main challenges that we've got and, and why um, why the industry can be so uh, so demanding and so, and so challenging. So, you know, it's, it's just having that thing happen on, on, on my watch. Um, that's, that's the top of mind thing, I think, for me. Yeah, I, you know, doing the pen testing and public speaking and stuff like that. Um, I found that, you know, I kind of put myself in the, in the target in the crosshairs uh, when it comes to industry and people and, you know, things that, that they, they want to be, but they, they don't have the opportunity. Um, speaking of which we had that tonight, uh, we had some guys from anonymous that, that logged in um, that were, you know, pretty diehard anonymous back then. And it became, an issue. So we had to lock down the chat and kick people out because they came, came like to me, came after me, um, which I find it very interesting, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, so yeah, like the, those types of things, like as a speaker and somebody who, you know, puts themselves out in the public to help people, um, you're always going to get that, that level of, um, I guess, exposure, vulnerability, um, and it's the same thing with any system or, or any company or people in general. You know, it, we all have weaknesses, we all have vulnerabilities, and uh, they'll go after them. Um, mm -hmm. So even after leaving a group like Anonymous, I still, I still have that that threat, that that background chatter. Um, but luckily, I have great staff for the haunted hacker, and they're able to take care of like issues with with people like that. It's just really 
really strange that people would do that and try to disrupt something that's you know beneficial to everybody. Um, so any questions for us, Steve? Like, I really appreciate you coming on. Like, it's been awesome. It's been a great conversation. No, yeah, thanks, guys. Really, uh, really appreciate the uh, opportunity to come on and talk to everyone. And uh, again, for everyone joining and taking the time out of the day, you know, I just still find that amazing that people want to come in and listen to listen to me speak most people maybe just came came to the, the rest of the show so i think uh i think that's awesome so thanks everybody for, for that really appreciate it um my question i guess really is um and you, i think you've answered this a few times before but um what what's ne- what's next for the for the podcast and for for everything else we, i know you've got a lot on yourself but in, in terms of speaking and and uh, you're doing some things with the um with uh, the uk law for the uh, protection of children and things like that so what else is, uh, is going on? Man, it's crazy. So literally this has been going on for 12 weeks and it's been, it started over a glass of bourbon in our kitchen upstairs and it became this thing where we thought, well, we'll just give it a shot and see what happens. My biggest fear was nobody was going to show up. Um, so far we haven't had that problem and it's been, uh, it's been amazing. Um, I think the next step. So I brought, I brought Trammy on as the co-host because I figured, you know, after 11 weeks of, of people hearing me and sometimes my cynical <laughs> attitude and, and more of the darker side of the internet, we needed something to kind of equal that out and, and, and make it, you know, digestible for everybody. Um, and kind of our model was, uh, I don't know if you know, the, the hack five um, threat wire podcast with Darren Cutchins and, and um, his co-host. Like I, I realized that the industry has, I'm a big advocate for women in tech, right? So I'm always trying to open up the doors. I think my last two hires when I was in Houston were both females um, because I, I want to give them a chance to equal the playing field and kind of add that. They, they give another mindset to what we're doing in operations. Um, some things that I can't give. Uh, so I brought Trammy on and she's been fantastic. She actually did the logos, by the way, which. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they are awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah just thanks. go from me. Yeah. I, I just started with the graphics. I was like, well, I'm creative. I can help with the graphics. And then it kind of exploded over the last two weeks. And now I feel like Mike and I have become close friends in such a short amount of time. And then just this community has been so awesome. Like all the guys that I've been able to connect with through this podcast is just, it's helped me like really dive into, um, you know, the industry even more. So I was doing marketing for the company um, where we, you know, just automate network penetration testing. So I was really big into the offensive side of it. And that was like my bubble. But um, meeting Mike, I slowly started opening up that bubble and just like kind of peeling through and just learning. And it's overwhelming. Like Steve mentioned, it's it's a lot. I, I find myself on the phone a lot more than I used to be. But it's it's when you're just getting in, you feel like there's so much that you just need to catch up on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been super exciting. And I I've, I'm loving every moment of it. Yeah, it's been pretty intense. I mean, we literally went from having like maybe 18 people log on for the live uh, broadcast to now today, I think is our is our peak, um, actually with 34 um, minus the two people we had to kick out. Uh, but yeah, like it, it's really, it's really growing. Um, and I feel like so. So Ryan is another co-host. He's actually in Australia. And we're going to have a Haunted Hacker <laughs> podcast just like this that's going to air in Australia in their time zone. So, and I'm looking possibly to get one in the UK as well. 
where we have somebody in the UK actually host the podcast. We host all the videos underneath the uh, Haunted Hacker uh, YouTube channel. Um, but I want to get into more of, you know, the training and, and helping people uh, learn what we do, even from a beginner level. I think that beginner level is really important. Um, I thought about doing the tech portion of the podcast, like really deep and, and showing like really advanced techniques, but I don't think that's the most important. I really think the most important is to show something a beginner can do and give them that excitement uh, because yeah. we have various levels of people in the channel uh, and on the podcast. And my thing is giving back and bringing people into the industry. So that's why I focus on Wi-Fi hacking, you know, the easy stuff, um, doing, you know, remote shells with PowerShell, uh, stuff that's digestible. Um, and for some of them, I actually do like a, a document, like a walkthrough that they can download. I'll put it in, in the uh, chat. They can download it and follow it step by step. Um, so that, that to me is the most important. But I feel like this has become more of not really a podcast. Um, it's, sorry. It's become more of a, a community and a movement, um, a movement of, you know, free knowledge and, and, and disclosure and, and just partnering with people and, and bringing people to where they can get that information to make them successful. Uh, because I, I don't want to leave anybody behind. I didn't have, I didn't have a mentor when I got into security. Um, I didn't have a channel that I could go to and be like, Oh, well, that's really cool. Let me check into this. Um, I did have one person that kind of took me under his wing way back in the day when I first got started. His name's Robert Hansen. He goes by Arsenic. Uh, really, awesome web hacker, like probably one of the best in the world. Um, and he was part of White Hat Security with uh, Jeremiah Grossman. So those two guys I met years ago in Vegas at a hacker, comp uh, hacker conference. And just recently I, I hooked up Trammy and Robert so that she could meet my mentor. Um, he's an amazing guy. He has been, he has been asking me the most challenging questions. Um, and I'm going to ask you guys one of them because it had me thinking, but he said, you know, which one would you rather absolute security or absolute privacy? And it's, Ooh. it was such a tough one for me because in a perfect world, if you have absolute security, which means zero crime, right? It means everything has to be public. Everything you do, everything, some organization or some controlling entity would have to know that so that they can police it, right? But if you have absolute privacy, then it opens up for bad things to happen. So, you know, like where, where do you guys fall on, in that spectrum? I think that this question would be best for Stee to answer first. Um, and this is why, is that geographically and politically, I think the answers are going to be completely different. So go ahead, Steve. So, yeah, so I don't think this, uh, it's a super, super interesting question. Um, exactly. That's, I first met Robert and that was what he asked me. And I was like, well, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know where to start with that, if I'm being honest, because yeah, like you say, they're just, there's, there's pros and cons to both. And I think that's why, that's why we need to, to get some balance. It's never going to be perfect, you know. As you say, if if, if everything is encrypted and and secure and and, and uh, kind of and protected, then how can some of our agencies do do what they need to do? But you know, likewise, um, how do you stop overreach? How do you you know um, do those sorts of challenges? Um, 
I honestly don't know what the best answer is with that one. I think it's for me, it's just having balance and make sure you've, you've got the right approach depending on, on what the, the, the uh, situation is. But yeah, it's a tough question. I like that one. I, yeah, I, need, I, I, I like that you were in the middle because my, my answer was like, well, you know, uh, absolute security for, for me, you know, it's like, because I, I feel like if, if you're in a world where it's absolute security and everyone knows your stuff, it kind of forces humans to be better humans, right? Mm -hmm. um, but but I, I agree with you. I definitely think there needs to be that balance um, mm -hmm. for sure. But it was a tough question and I, I don't know the answer. So I, that's why I was asking yeah. you guys. I think, you know, if you, if you look at what's happened recently with um, the, the kind of the changes in social media platforms. So, you know, um, WhatsApp changing the, the terms and conditions and then suddenly signal going through the roof to the point where it's, you know, it's uh, fallen over. I think that gives you a good indication as to what a lot of people's view is on security or privacy. They don't want these companies um, looking at what they're doing. They don't want to be targeted uh, on, on Facebook based on what they've said on, on these other platforms. So I think that whole shift that we saw recently, you know, I, I've got a signal on there and the amount of people that said, this person's just joined Signal, this person, it was just going boom, boom, boom. Um, it's a really good indication as to what people, that people are taking their privacy, privacy a lot more seriously than they probably did before. It goes back to what I was saying before about this is more in the mainstream now. You know, there were, there were times when people didn't know what a hacker was or a ransomware or malware. And you can ask most people in the street that watch, that watch um, you know, mainstream media and news, they know what that is now because they see it every, every day. So people are making a lot more decisions based on on that now. So yeah, cool question. I'll ask. So uh, I'll answer from, from an American point of view as well. So when the forefathers decided to, uh, found the country and, and they basically made a statement. I believe it was Benjamin Franklin. I may be wrong, maybe Justin. Um, but really said that, you know, if, if you're willing to give up some privacy for security, then you deserve neither. Um, so, and that's been kind of the founding principle. So after 9-11, uh, the big problem was, you know, government overreach. Um, they used 9-11 as a way to say, hey, we can protect you we'll give you that security, just relinquish some of your privacy. Um, so we had the Patriot Act and things like that that followed. So I don't, I don't, think, I don't think that that one is better than the other, but this is the way I look at it with uh, privacy and security. When I have a commercial ISP that I'm connected to, I don't expect them to provide me security. I, I'll do that myself, but I do expect them to provide me some privacy. Um, just because their router is in my home doesn't mean that they can have, you know, set that router up to where it automatically joins a hotspot and gives people connection to my Wi-Fi. Right. Um, so, I mean, there's different ways to look at it, but I think both are important. It just depends on where you're at and the type of government that's uh, in control. Um, and so far here in the U.S., we haven't seen a government in years that, that really respects privacy. I think probably since the seventies, maybe even before that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a big issue. Uh, let me look at the questions. I still have like a ton of questions coming in. Um, yeah, Steve's, Steve's a hot topic. I'm really, I'm really uh, excited about this. I think that uh, awesome beard draws in the crowd. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. 
<laughs> at the same time. It's, so it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. My husband has a beard um, and he's got like 16 different types of beard oils and, and yeah, all this yeah, products. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I do have a question for Steve. Um, and this, this is more on the psychology mindset. Uh, one. So I know, Steve, you're, you're heavily on the defensive side, but you're also an ethical hacker. So how, how do you go about changing your mindset from being defensive and then attacking, you know, because it, it's different, right? You're, you're just, you're just two different types of like, personalities, yeah. almost. I, th I think so. But as, as much as that, that, that can be the case, I think it's down to the person when I approach something, you, you have both mindsets, because if you're, if you're, if you're attacking, then you need to be thinking, right, what's happening on the other end of the screen? What's happening on the other side of the screen? So you need to, you need to I'm going to run this command. I'm going to try this attack. What's that going to look like to the, to the blue team on the other side? So you, you really need to switch be between the two. And likewise, when you sat on the other side of the screen and you're blue, you're thinking, right, okay, what, what are these attacks going to look like? And therefore, what do I need to, what signals it in my environment do I need to be looking for? So it, it's a constant... I don't know if it's one or the other. For me personally, at least, it's it's just one of the one of the same. Um, you just it's it's the mindset that you have that you have to be able to kind of flip between the two. When you're under like a lot of pressure, you know, on the job, which I'm sure you do on a daily basis, but you know, you just have that one day where it's just a mental beating. Um, what do you do to kind of like calm yourself down so that you can see the problem or the solution a little bit more clearly? Because I know like for me, I have high anxiety. So when I have a lot of stressors coming at me externally, I, I kind of just shut down and I need to just kind of zone everything out for like five minutes. Mm -hmm. And then I can kind of like go from there. So, so, you know, how do you handle that? Yeah, so I guess in the here and you know the, the here and now, um, I would just step away from the computer, to stick some music on, or like one of the benefits of working from home is obviously I've got um, my son, um, my son's next door and stuff, I can go and speak to them and just you know totally forget about it for a moment, clear my head, uh, have a bit of family time, and then just come back into it. Which you know one of the one of the massive advantages of the situation at the moment is that for me. Um, but then, you know, outside of that, I do a lot of things and very big at saying, make sure you have something else that's, that's, um, that you can switch off from, you know, and, and try and make that not tech, you know, like me, I stop from work and I'll come on and I'll do this stuff, but you also need my, my advice to have something else. So I run, I, I tie, tie box and kickbox. That's great for stress relief. Um, you know, going and punching a bag or whatever it is, but yeah, definitely just go and have something else outside of, of your, Kind of being zoned into into your computer, and, and that goes for anybody in, that's working from home. You know, doesn't necessarily mean cyber, but yeah, that, that's me. Going family time, kind of during the day, just have a quick yeah, decompress and come back with a fresh mind and, and attack it from a different angle. And then, kind of longer term, just make sure you've got some sort of um, physical um, pastime that you can just go in and uh, get that stress uh, gone with. Absolutely, yeah, totally agree. Um, with me, with with getting overwhelmed. I do that to myself quite a bit. Uh, I pile on a lot of stuff, uh, you know, <coughs> advisory board and stuff like that. And then next Tuesday, I'm uh, speaking at two conferences, the future of cybersecurity in London with Frank Abagnale. And then I'm doing a private talk for Cyber Angel in the UK, the Intel company, um, back to back, literally. I, I start at 9 a.m. And I go from 9 to 10.30, from 10.30 to 11.30 with Frank Abagnale and Brett Johnson. Um, 
it's just nonstop. And there's some days where I have to disconnect and be like, you know, I, I just, I can't do it. I need somebody else to help. Um, but I think that's important is knowing your limitations as well as, you know, knowing yourself and your capabilities. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, you know, kickboxing, boxing, whatever, uh, I think it is good because it's both physical and it's mental. So it distracts you for a while and takes you away from that, that, I don't want to say reality because a lot of what we do, I don't think exists in, in reality. I think that a lot of it's just, it's in the ether. Um, but that's my take on it. So Trammy, what do you do as far as like relieving that, that stress or, or, you know, breaking away from, from the ether? Yeah. Um, well, I, I am very family oriented. So um, I, I'm really close with my brothers, my sister, um, my parents, my husband. So I spend, I make sure I spend a lot of time with family because, you know, um, I lost a, a, my father-in-law passed away two years ago and it, you know, he kind of passed away at a really young age and unexpectedly. And I think that really changed my perception of like reality. And it really made me realize what was important. And it's, it's that human connection, right? So it's the, the people in your life that you care about and it's just creating memories with them. So I love spending time with family. Um, I also play tennis. So I, I, I just smack the shit out of that ball whenever I'm having a bad day. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of what I like to do. Um, I also like music. That's a, a huge outlet for me. I've got a playlist for every single time of the day, the mood, what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, music's a big one too. Yeah, definitely. That that's why you know I'll just get get my headphones, stick those on, and just be put some music on. The type of music depends on on the on the feeling. The mood. But, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, sometimes it'll be it'll be like the, the type of music that was on today before. Sometimes it'll be a lot slower, or even just nature sounds, just to kind of you know bring yourself down, balance a little bit. I know Ryan, you got some uh, kind of meditation things as well, haven't you? There. So yeah, stuff like that. Uh, I think is I think is awesome for for that. Yeah, I always start my day off meditating for at least five to 15 minutes. Um, and I find that that helps just to not have any thoughts and just try to be really like Zen. Um, yeah. That that definitely has helped. But I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a stressful industry to be in for sure, because technology is just moving so fast. And, you know, you've got people like you mentioned that specialize. But for me, I feel like I kind of just need to know the general picture and that that gets really overwhelming for sure yeah absolutely well steve we really appreciate it and uh you know you're welcome anytime on the podcast and discord um we're fighting a discord war right now as, as we speak um that's why i'm a little distracted uh but yeah anytime man now it's um, done it's done cool. <laughs> thank you so yeah, yeah that, that's yeah <laughs> It's one of those things, you know, it's like, you know, people don't want people to succeed and they don't want people to, you know, have a good thing. They want to destroy stuff. It's not about it. politics, man. It's about hel helping people, you know, like good yeah. vibes. Yeah. Good uh, vibes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, look at these people in the room here that, you know, they're, they're here to learn. They're here to share ideas. Uh, yeah. got no, no time for the bullshit of the past. Let's just learn and move forward. Like how can yeah. we, how can we actually be a threat against threat actors if we can't even work together, man? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And especially when we're dirty hippies, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I I'm very much a hippie. I'm like world peace, guys. Just can we just all get along, grow, be better humans? So with that being said, we're, we're gonna have to have a team meeting probably tomorrow and like re-orchestrate uh, oh. security levels on on everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. All, 
there's, I've invites are gone. It's done. We have to be a bit more off. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing, Steve, like we started this, this group to be an open platform, right? So I opened up the discord server to anybody, um, sent out invites to to the world and it really grew fast. Uh, but the problem is when you do that, um, there's always a bad apple somewhere that, you know, wants to tear things apart and, and make it uncomfortable for other people. So anyways, you're welcome anytime. I hope that, that we cross paths with the London police because I think that you would really like uh, what we do. Um, mm-hmm. the, there's supposedly an intervention next month. Maybe you can get involved. And then um, the Matrix Challenge, the UK Matrix Challenge, uh, award ceremonies next month as well. Uh, so I'm supposed to be speaking there and maybe we can you know, do like a joint talk or whatever. Um, yeah, that sounds good. Depending on your time frame, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, but again, thank you for coming on. You're welcome to stay for the rest of it. I'm just going to bring up a video and walk them through uh, MSF Venom, creating a payload and, and encoding it with uh, Shikata Ganai. Uh, so you're more than welcome yeah, to stay. Yeah, I'm going to hang around. I'm going to uh, take, take my, uh, my uh, microphone and video off, go and grab a beer. Uh, if anybody wants to message me with any questions on the side or hit me up on LinkedIn, uh, always open to having chats and stuff like that. So yeah. And definitely still be around if anybody wants to chat. So thanks very much, guys. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, cool. thank, thank you, Steve. Steve. Thank you so much. It was so great. That's thanks, awesome. everyone. Well done, Trammy. Awesome. Yeah, no, you're awesome. Cool. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Cheers. All right. Cheers. All Bye, right. everyone. Thanks, man. So give me a second. You guys can uh, uh, talk amongst yourselves. You and Ryan, maybe Trammy. Um, I'm going to set up the uh, demo for Shikata. Sounds good. So, hey, Trevi, what's happening? Uh, you know, just living, living that good life. Living the dream. It so was funny. Christian. I was, I was reading about Shikata, Shikata Ganai, and you know, uh, trying to pronounce it properly and, and understanding <laughs> what it meant in Japanese culture, and it, it was really interesting. Then I find myself saying it with a, an anime kind of voice. You know, <laughs> I was, I was like Shikata Ganai. <laughs> <laughs> I know, silly, silly. So, so the company uh, that you work for, they're mainly red team stuff or, or red team emulation, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So we focus on offensive security. Um, and our founder was an ethical hacker for you know over ten years. And as you know, the worst part about being a hacker is the reporting part, right? You, yeah. you did the fun stuff. Now you got to write it up and put it package it in a way that you know the the c-suite and board directors can get it and that that piece of it took so much time that he was on this really large engagement and he was dreading writing the report so he decided to spend his time writing a tool to automate the report so that he wouldn't have to do it um so then that kind of blew up and then now we have a platform that basically automates network penetration testing and it's different from a vulnerability scan in that it does enumeration exploitation post-exploitation like an actual hacker would um so it's just it's really exciting uh we actually got domain access um at four companies that ran the tool last year. So it was just really interesting to see an automated tool get domain access uh, in an actual yeah. environment. Yeah, I actually looked at so the demo. How do you, um, oh, yeah, that, that'd be good. I'd love to see a demo. Yeah, it was uh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I'll run through it really quick. So yeah, this yeah. is Shikata Ganai. I've set it up in a virtual machine. The video quality may increase a little bit, but we have to remember I'm running the podcast off of a cell phone because Nomad Internet Services um, really doesn't uh, provide service. Uh, so I'll go ahead and get started. I don't, can you guys see my screen? 
Yep. Set the can, buddy. Okay, cool. Here we go. So let me uh, mute that. Um, so right now what we're doing, the IP config is on the, the IF config is on the right. Um, and now I'm opening up uh, MSF Venom. I'm choosing the platform x86 and Windows. Uh, and now we're determining the exe file that I'm going to inject the payload into, um, which is putty.exe, a really small application. And then uh, again, we're looking at um, the payload that we want to add to it. So I added the interpreter payload, a reverse TCP. So, so putty's a SSH. Client, yeah, 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 yeah. Multiple yeah. like SSH, FTP, all that stuff. <laughs> Telnet. Yeah. I'm setting L host, local host, which is that one dot two three four. Um, so I type really slow in this because I don't want people to get lost. And then the local port, the, the port that the uh, payload will point to, and the port that I will have listening for that payload uh, for that shell. And again, um, this is the encoder, which is x86 Chicago and I um, and you'll see what happens after we get through so iterations is three iterations which seems to be the most effective and then B is the null bytes um, so that will go into the actual exe in the payload um, so the file will be in exe format and the output will be the haunted putty.exe so it We'll execute that. Can you explain iterations briefly if we've got time? So iterations is basically um, one iteration would be adding a null byte in a random spot, but with multiple iterations, like you can choose which, which level of iteration, right? So you see in the output, right? Um, it's yep. gone through, you know, three iterations at different, with different sizes. Um, yep. And you want to keep that size small. You don't want to go too high because when you yep. go too high, it's, it's too noticeable. Um, yeah. So now I'm running an MSF console to start my listener. Uh, remember, we use the Windows reverse TCP interpreter payload. So I'll go ahead and choose the exploit, which is multi-handler for Windows. Um, you can do the same thing with APKs as well. You'll just have to choose Android. Um, and I'm setting my payload which will be your Windows interpreter reverse TCP. And then we'll go through the host um, that you want to listen on, which will be the 234. And then immediately after we'll do the local port, which will be the same as the payload, which is 444, 4444. And then now we'll exploit, right? So now we're going to set it to listen. So I have that machine listening on that port, I'm waiting for someone to install that haunted putty. So I host it on a web server, on the same server. And there you see the haunted putty.exe. Click on it. Do you want to run this file? Yes. Publisher cannot be verified. Yes. So you see it still brings up putty, but then it also gives me access to that system in the background. Um, <laughs> And there's a number of number of tools that you can use and different types of data uh, that you can grab. Uh, so that's like the that's the short and rough of Shikata and uh, MS Venom and Metasploit. Pretty pretty common tools. But remember, like there's like the more iterations that you use, uh, the the better off that you are as long as you, you don't get that byte that byte size too high. 
Um, yeah. There's also levels of encryption you can add to the payload. Um, I'm not going to go into that because that will probably lose a lot of people. Uh, but there's a way to protect yourself and, and that payload from like really, you know, being identified and, and caught by a. Yeah. Uh, so, did... so Mike, can you explain what the iterations are for? What the, the purpose of doing the multiple iterations is about? Yeah, sure. So with the payload, you're looking at putting a null byte into the actual EXE, right? Um, to help obfuscate what is actually going on with the payload. So when you do that, when you put that null byte in there, it, it's hard for a system to like identify it as, oh, hey, wait, this is not the legit EXE file that we're waiting for. This doesn't match. Um, so with that null byte, it kind of helps get past that, that control. Um, yeah. And Chairman and I talked last night and, and she's absolutely correct. Like uh, MSF Venom and with uh, Shikata, uh, if you use it out of the box, yeah, like it's really detectable with AV and some of the uh, like IDS monitors or whatever and Windows Defender. But if you use other tools on top of it um, and manipulate kind of the payload a little bit and look at the actual shell code, um, you can get it past AV. Uh, it, it's, yeah. it's just a matter of being able to know the tools used. And that's not the only encoder. So there's multiple encoders that you can use. Um, you know, I think that uh, one of them is called Shelter uh, I messed around with Shelter a little bit. I'm not a big fan of Shelter because it uses Wine on Kali. And anytime you use Wine, which is a Windows emulator, is it's very shaky and kind of flaky. Um, and I've had some problems with it. Yeah. So I like command line. I don't like to use Wine. I don't like to look at outside resources. I just want access to the payload, be able to manipulate it and wrap it up into the exe file. Um, and like we, like we saw with the PowerShell, like the, the Mr. Robot hack that I did with the, with the USB, and remotely sending uh, credentials through Mimikatz through that through that shell, yeah. it's completely undetectable. And the reason being is because you're using normal behaviors, right? You're you're masking that traffic in port eighty traffic, and it's a, a multi-stage attack, right? So you go out, the the attack goes out and says, "Hey, look, I need to go to this IP address, get this PowerShell script, and execute it." And PowerShell already is elevated with privileges, so the system's like, "Oh, hey, this is cool." And when the shell pops and it goes over port 80, the traffic isn't stopped because Windows is like, oh, it's just port 80 and port 80 traffic and we don't really see any threat in it. So it's successful. Um, yeah. And then you can also use 443 and actually encrypt the traffic, which makes it even more difficult uh, for analysts or, or monitoring systems to actually pick it up. Um, but again, like that, so, that's so, more, go ahead. So from a blue team perspective, mm -hmm. so you, how would we detect this attack? Okay, so- oh, I was just about to ask that. That's a great question, yeah. Ryan. Yeah, yeah, so are we talking about the uh, EXE or are we talking about the PowerShell attack? Which one? Uh, the, uh, let's go, let's, let's, well, let's start with the EXE. Let's okay, let's so EXE, I mean, with that attack right there that I did, it, it'll probably be stopped um, basically yeah. because of the fact that, you know, I didn't use encryption on top of it. I just ran it as yeah. is um, and still okay. maintain the, the file integrity of, of the putty. Um, so what, what's the, what's the, oh, sorry, what's the AV picking up? What's the AV picking up to stop that? Is the it, AV is, is picking it, up, AV is picking up not only the hash of the original file and what it should be, but it's also picking up the way it interacts with the system. Um, yeah. So the, with those two things combined, 
it'll probably get stopped. But with the PowerShell, yeah. um, every Windows system has PowerShell embedded now. Uh, and it's a, kind of an elevated privilege. And you know you can get access to, to PowerShell and run things as admin. Um, and so the Windows system doesn't look at that as potentially a threat. So I sat with an AI company. I won't, I won't name shame. Um, but I talked to them about how their how their platform didn't pick up my USB attack with you know reverse PowerShell over <laughs> common ports, and they said, well, it's not going to alert it because first of all, PowerShell's you know it's authorized and it's that's normal behavior, and port eighty is pretty common, and so we don't you know the the platform doesn't see that as potentially bad behavior, so I went into the to the data right they have. I don't want to give away the company, but there, there's there's a section within the platform that you can look at the raw data from the activity or whatever. Um, and I was able to see the PowerShell being executed. I was able to see the shell going out through port 80. My yep. question was, so why is that not alert? Why, why is that not something that it flags? And their, their answer was, we need to go back to the drawing board and like look at the payload and build this into the system um, because you can use a combination of, of normal behaviors in a system for completely yeah. malicious purposes. Um, and again, that, that's that red team mindset and you have to look at what's acceptable on a network and then go after those behaviors and manipulate those behaviors to get what you want into the network or into that system. Um, and so that's from why, a blue, go ahead. So from a blue team perspective, if I'm making, making a, a a rule to detect, to detect this? Is it about chaining those behaviors together to not get a false positive? Is this the, is that the, the is that how I detect your attack or? To be or honest with you, yeah. So, so to be honest with you, like if I was gonna stop that attack, I would look at the timestamps first of all, because yep. the time that it takes to, to, to run that EXE or to run that PowerShell and then follow it up immediately by you know, traffic on port 80 or port 443, that to me says, yeah. okay, something's going out of the network. I'm not really sure what it is, if it's encrypted, but we just yeah. had a PowerShell um, open on that system. So th there's something going on with that system. Um, so I would look at the timing and look at the behaviors. Yeah. So if you can match those two up and you can co correlate the two, you can stop that, that action. But the problem is- so could that be what could that be worked around with a little bit of a cheeky scripting and a bit of a delay on yeah. when? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you, you can absolutely create a delay. Um, but, you know, and that, again, when you're looking at AI systems, uh, a lot of people are putting those systems in because they either have limited uh, bandwidth as far as employees and resources go. So they're kind of sitting yeah. back, like, you know, looking at the monitor, waiting for things to happen. Um, but it happens so quickly that by the time they see or are able to correlate that, that hidden data, it's too late. Right, um, gone. So I, I think that's where, and I hate to, to bash on AI and machine learning, <laughs> but I think, that, I think, I think that's the downfall. And I think if we depend on machines to think for us, we're going to have some yeah. major problems. So any other questions? All right. Should we, should we open the chat up now? I think it's a, uh... Is it safe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been speaking publicly for three actually, years. Actually, I had a question for Tremi, actually. So, Tremi, you're, you're in red teaming. How do you... Okay, so you say you've got a... Oh, what? iPad for the win. 
Um, so you've got a, a client who's not so well versed in the whole red team, blue team thing. How do you how do you uh, explain to them the scope of an engagement? Like how do you uh, how do you get them to make it clear to you? Um, so what I do is I bring in our founder Alton, who is an ethical hacker <laughs> and oh, knows awesome. his shit. <laughs> Yes, he is. <laughs> That's right. Alton Johnson is our founder and he is awesome. Um, he He's actually, I feel so fortunate, right? Because I never would have gotten into cybersecurity if it wasn't for my brother, who's really good friends with him. And I was able to bring my creative skills to kind of help him grow his company, the brand and the image. Um, yeah. But with that being said, it's a huge learning curve for me. So I, I deflect on him a lot to help me with these things. But for the most part, I'm on a lot of these scoping calls just to understand the customer's pain points from a marketing perspective so that we can kind of help educate. Um, and to be honest, I, I, I started out my career loving marketing and then hating it because of digital media, right? Like the internet yeah. happened and then my job got exponentially more challenging because now I have to fight <laughs> through all this noise. So I almost had this distaste for marketing and I thought about switching careers until I landed in cybersecurity. And I was like, you know, finally, it's an industry that I can use my creative like skills to, to just educate and like do something good and like just kind of help these companies protect yeah. themselves against these cyber criminals that are out there. It's, it's like the mafia behind a computer screen. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I count on I count on the hackers on our team a lot with the scoping calls, um, and they do a really good job explaining to the client like what it is they're trying to do. Uh, you know, again, defining that scope and then explaining the methodology. Um, a lot of things that they'll ask is how disruptive is a pen test. That's always the biggest concern. Like, like should I be worried? Are you going to bring anything down? Especially like call centers that are twenty four seven. Um, so it's just educating them on that and coming up with like the the best way to approach that penetration test that works for them. And so, so does your company um, uh, does it use the MITRE attack framework in in that it finds out what kind of company it is and then molds that threat emulation to the kind of company they are? Like, is it or is this a is this what your company like a service your company provides or yeah, is actually, something they have to come to you with. Yeah, so we um, so it's an automated pen testing platform, but we recently integrated the MITRE tech. Well, we're working on it right now, so um, it's still yeah. in beta. Hello. But... Sorry. Oh, <laughs> I was like, hello. No, it was Siri, 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 Siri just wanted to say hello for a second. So, yeah. Nice. Hello, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> See, Apple's always listening. Oh, always. Alexa. Alexa, always. too. Yeah. Alexa, too. Absolutely. <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. All right, I, just, I just want to thank Stay for coming in tonight, man. It was re it was really good to hear your perspective, dude. Like, thank you so much for being part of the podcast, mate. Yeah. For sure. Oh, it's back. Thank oh, nice hoodie, much. bro. Nice oh, hoodie. he's ready to hack. <laughs> it's cold here. <laughs> well, thank you. Really appreciate it. And again, yeah, thank you for everyone taking up the time to uh, to join. It's really appreciated. So, good stuff. Yeah, anytime, man. And uh, I look forward to uh, having you in a Discord and, and sharing ideas. And I think we have some really good conversations uh, on Discord server about, you know, different topics. Uh, I'm really happy with the way things turned out as far as, you know, the talk and, and you know, the interview and whatnot. And Trammy has been absolutely amazing as far as a co-host. Like, uh, I, 
told you you could do it. I told you you could do it. <laughs> no, no, I, no. So when Mike asked me, when Mike asked me, I was like, Mike, do you know any other female? Like any, any, any other female? <laughs> yeah, she didn't want to do it, but I had talked so, to Robert, and Robert was like, yeah, she's good to go. So. So yeah. thanks hey, Mark, for- can we unmute, unmute Che? Yeah, unmute Che, buddy. Oh, he's got a question. Che. Chi. 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 Where is that? I've got, I've got it all over it. I still unmute. Laughing. But yeah, I, I'm having so much hey, fun tonight. Hi. So I, I have to thank you guys for sure. Like yeah. I, I feel the, the positive energy. Um, you guys are just awesome. I, I love it. Thank you so much for the, the Haunted Hacker Down Under logo, by the way. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. I think she, I think she wanted to speak really quick. Chi, do you have a question? Uh, no, I didn't. I just uh, gave a round of applause for the trainee. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, trainee. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll, but, I'll give it back to you guys. Yeah, so, so I'm, next, I'm so bad with compliments. <laughs> next, week, next week is going to be Chi and Alberto Daniel Hill um, from Darknet Diaries, and he has a really good story to tell. Uh, so everybody that's tuned in this week, tune in next week, um, because it'll be really good. Um, so I, I just really enjoyed doing this and, and giving back and bringing people to, you know, the public and, and helping spread like, you know, knowledge and, and inside information as far as like, you know, you can do this as well. Um, and it's not hard. Uh, it's just a matter of commitment and passion, really, uh, and sharing information. So can I just say, uh, next week, it's going to be, uh, make sure you respond to the Eventbrite thing. It's going to be uh, invite only next week. So yep. from here on out, yeah. yeah, from here on out, we have to, we have to be on lockdown. We haven't had this issue our entire length of the Haunted Hacker podcast until tonight. And it's been, I mean, I, I really appreciate the patience of everybody, Steve, the guest, and, and all the people listening, uh, dealing with the chaos and the, and the flamer wars that are going on behind the scenes. You guys don't actually see it, um, but it's been pretty hectic for all the hosts and co-hosts tonight. <laughs> yeah, Ryan's phone's been blowing up. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll have it locked down a little bit more next week, and, and we won't have to worry about all the intrusions and nonsense. Um, but, yeah, thanks, guys, for tuning in, and I will see you next week. Any last words from anybody before I cut this off? Today, I'll see you at the next um, next Trace Labs event. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, you guys have a good one. Thank you so yeah, much. You. Bye, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye.